0: It is my privilege to be here with y'all this evening. On most Sunday nights, Katie and myself are up with the older kids going through a curriculum called uh, Answers in Genesis, which seeks to walk through the Old Testament and continue to show how uh, all of it points to Christ and how He is worthy of being called Lord of our lives. Um, And so it it is our privilege to do that, and it is also a privilege to join you again this evening. So I would ask that you would pray for our children's ministry. Um, if I get a chance to speak, i kind of am obligated to plug that a little bit. Uh, but uh, So yeah, continue to pray tonight. Uh, Chris and Agnes teach in Lower Kids on the evening, and we also have our nursery workers. So as, as we come together in worship, consider those who are working in our children's ministry, who are serving our kids and our families well, not only just to serve child care, but to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Because we don't provide child care, we provide um, hope. So pray for our children's workers as we come to meetings like this and things like that. So, um, yeah. Uh, turn with me this evening to Joshua chapter one. Uh, a few months ago, I was given the opportunity to speak on a Sunday night and I did the first half of Joshua chapter one. And now we're going to do the second half. So Brian said in about, you know, 20 years, I could preach through Joshua at this pace. So uh, as you're turning there, I want to read you a short story. This is a short story entitled Anticipation by Alan Smith. A little boy is intensely staring at the chocolate cake that has been pulled out of the refrigerator and set on the table. As the boy watches the plates being passed out like cards in a casino and the first wonderful slice being cut delicately, he is brought back to reality by the grotesque image patiently waiting in front of him on the opposite end of his plate. Green peas. Only the most terrible vegetable ever manufactured in 14.5-ounce metal cans. And what more, there seemed to be a mound of them, numbering 150 to 200 at least. This was not their first encounter with the boy. They had met many times before. The boy had always managed to pull out a victory in their previous tussles, but the casualties were always high. The boy had sacrificed many a good taste bud in order to defeat this foe. Yes... They were, in fact, quite small, but they always attacked in huge hordes. Their most awful attack was not the initial foul taste or even the mushy texture, but it was that as they were dealt their death blow by the boy's teeth, they would explode and release their awful flavor throughout the mouth. They were the suicide bombers of the canned vegetables variety, and the boy knew they would not go easy on him. He looks again at the cake, trying to muster up some courage, knowing that he has to eat the horrid green peas before even a wisp of the icing would glide across his finger. The old excuses will not work this time. He is stuck with the ultimatum of having to eat the peas. He knows what he must do. Pinching his nose and closing his eye, he raises the spoon to his mouth. Now this is a story of anticipation of something of a chocolate cake, an enjoyment that most people get after they enjoy the meal. Now, in the boy's situation, he has to go through the tussle of actually eating his vegetables. And as we all know and as we experience as parents and as children ourselves, that's never a fun experience. But pain must be experienced in order to experience the joy of the cake. Well, in our passage this evening, Joshua gives a command to the Israelites that they are going to cross over into the promised land. When they cross over this Jordan into the promised land, it will not be the promised land as it's intended to be. It will be a land that's inhabited by nations and people that they must dispossess in order for it to be the promised land that God intended it to be. And so as we look at this passage tonight, what I, what I hope we see is, that, is this, that the people of God who follow the man of God Will receive the rest of God. The people of God who follow the man of God will receive the rest of God. And we'll explore that this evening. So read with me Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you were to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives you rest, gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of your Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you commanded him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray. Father, this evening I'm struck with the weightiness of the task that you've put before me. So, Father, I pray that You would give me grace to be able to speak the words that You have intended. I pray that You would alter my notes and my intentions so that they would match Your intentions for this evening. So that Your Word would be proclaimed without hindrance. And that we, as the people of God, would be built up into the image of Your Son. So that we may display His glory to the world. Glory, Father, that He deserves. Father, I pray that we would do that wisely, knowing that you give us access to your throne, but, Father, that we would do it with reverence, knowing that you are God of God, Lord of Lords. So, Father, give us grace this evening to hear your word and give us grace this evening to change in light of it. We pray this all for the sake of Christ. Amen. So. In the first part of our passage this evening, Joshua issues a command. Now, it's important to remember who Joshua is, and that's what we explored last time. Joshua is the new leader of Israel. He has just been installed after the death of Moses, which is recorded in the last chapter of Deuteronomy. So Moses dies, and then Joshua is installed as the new leader. And even God says to Joshua in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And so Joshua is given this command by God. And now he was prepared for leadership because at the beginning of this book, it reminds us that Joshua was the assistant of Moses. He had served under Moses. He had learned under Moses. And so if anybody was well fit for leadership to lead the people of Israel across the Jordan into this promised land, it was Joshua. And so God gives him this command to lead the peoples. And so um, this command is in light of a promise, a promise that God had reiterated over and over to the Israelite people Uh, throughout Genesis. It says on the day that the Lord made the commandment or covenant with Abraham, Abram, saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river to the river Euphrates. And it. Exodus, he reiterates. In Deuteronomy, he he says it a couple more times. So these people have no question as to where they're heading and what God has promised. It has been told to them over and over. It has been passed down from generation to generation. And now Joshua has the immense privilege of of seeing this promise come to fruition. Of seeing this peoples who, who, who have been barred from the promised land for 40 years actually cross the river and step foot. And so what a daunting task it must be, but yet it is his task to hold. And the way that God had promised that Joshua would have success is not through any kind of military might or anything that he could provide to the Israelites, but it was simply through obedience. In the first half, God, God makes that clear that you will find success if you follow my word. Do not depart from it from the right hand to the left. Make sure you meditate on it day and night. And this idea of meditation is not simply mental rotations, but it is speech out loud. This word is to be spoken. It is to be in, in and out of every fiber of life. And that is the method of success in which you will lead these Israelites. And so Joshua knows exactly what he's called to do, and now he's preparing the people to do the same. And so, verse 10, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people. And so, because of the immense size of Israel at the time, it wasn't logistically appropriate for Joshua just to stand up before all the people and just announce because, I mean, it's a big group of people. Just, and so, there's officers, much like any kind of army would have. There's officers, and so he hands this, hands this instruction, this command off to them, and it says, pass through uh, the midst of the camp and command the people. Go out to the people and let them know this. And the command is this. Prepare. That's the first command that Joshua gives to the people as the leader of Israel is to prepare. Prepare your provisions. Because what we are about to encounter, we have never encountered anything like it before. We are about to enter a new land. We are about to experience new challenges. We are about to go to battle for what will be our homeland. Prepare. Prepare your provisions for within three days you're to pass over this Jordan. So what is it, what does it look like to prepare? Do we have anything to prepare for? Well, I, I certainly think we do because we have a promised land. We have a place that is promised to us for those of us who are found in Christ. A promised land where we will reside with God forever. And isn't that the hope of all of God's people? To be with God's people in God's presence. We have a promised land to be in His presence forever. And so we should prepare. We should prepare for that day. And what does that look like? Well, it looks very much like what Brian talked about this morning. We prepare by aligning ourselves to godliness. We prepare by seeing what the plumb line of Scripture says about what our lives should look like, and we should adhere to it. That is how we prepare for our promised land. And that will not be without battles. That will not be without strife. That will not be without difficulty. But the fight is worth it. And so we prepare prepare for our promised land where we will reside with God forever by striving for godliness now. This is not just a future reality. It's a present pursuit. We pursue godliness now because godliness will be our life when we are united with Christ without any other hindrance. So we prepare. Now, notice here, he calls him to prepare, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan. I mean, just for a moment, I want to I want to note at the anticipation that was no doubt felt by the Israelites at this point. This promised land that that they had been waiting for for generations, and most recently a 40-year stint where they were just wandering in the wilderness waiting for God to give them access, and now the command comes through. In three days, we're going over. The idea of the promised land being so close that they can taste it must have filled them with anxiety and anticipation and just chomping at the bit to cross that river and enter. Because God had talked about how good it was going to be. God had promised them a land where they could reside with Him and be His people in His place. Should we not more anticipate the promised land that we have? Not a worldly uh, division. Not, not a physical like, section of the earth, but a new heavens and a new earth where we will not be surrounded by enemies, but we will be surrounded by our family for eternity. And we have the promise that that promised land is coming soon. Now once again, we don't have it's coming in three days. But when God says that Jesus is coming back soon, we ought to take His word for and so we should live in light of anticipation that the promised land is coming soon, and so we should make our pre- preparations now. See, the idea of preparation is not we should wait until we get closer to the day; we know the day is coming, and so we prepare now. And so that's what the Israelites were called to do. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to take possession of the land that your Lord, that the Lord your God, has given you to possess. Now, throughout this first chapter of Joshua, it keeps going over how there's a dependency on the obedience of Joshua and the Israelites to receive this promise, to follow after. But note that all of that is in light of this that the Lord is the one giving it to them. They pursue an obedience not to earn what God has given, they pursue an obedience because God is giving it. And our life should follow the same pattern. We have the promises of God and so we follow after in obedience. Not to earn God's favor, but a response to the favor that we have because of the work of Christ. Someone has earned that favor for us and so we have the freedom to obey. Not the obligation. And so, this first command is for all the people of Israel. Prepare. Secondly, we have Joshua narrowed down on three particular tribes. Verse 12. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Now, why is he narrowing down on these three particular people? Well, back in Numbers, these three particular tribes had made an agreement with Moses. So I will read quickly from Numbers chapter 32, if you'd like to turn there with me. And I'll be reading from verse 16. So it says, then they came near to him. So this is the probably representatives of these three tribes. And him is Moses. So verse 16, then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. So when they say here, they're talking about the east side of the Jordan River. That's where the Israelites were, and they were given the promise of going over the Jordan onto the west side into Canaan. But these particular tribes decided that they, that they saw fit to settle in this particular land. So they said, we'll build our sheepfold for our livestock and city for our little ones. Verse 17. But we will take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. So Moses said to them, If you will do this, If you will take up arms to go before the Lord before the war and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Build your cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what you have promised. So these particular tribes had had found it as seen fit to settle on this side of the river. And so they made an agreement. If we are allowed to settle on this side of the river, we will send our men across to fight the battles with the rest of Israel. And when that land is conquered, when the rest of Israel has received their inheritance, we will return to our homes, and we will be at rest. And so Joshua reminds them of this command. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over, armed before your brothers, and shall help them, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers and has as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And so we see that even though these particular tribes had, had found their resting place, they were really not at rest yet because they had made a promise to go across. And so, in order for one body within Israel to find rest, they must all find rest. So, we have this totality of Israel seeking this inheritance that they had been promised. And what's interesting is that this agreement that's been struck up is not simply out of obligation or something like that, but this is truly a loving act on behalf of these three tribes to fight for the sake of their brothers. Because notice what happens. I mean, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. So we have this division. The men are crossing the Jordan, and the women and children are staying in these fortified cities. And in the passage we read in Numbers, it's specific to point out these fortifi- fortif- that these cities are fortified because there's some sort of danger lurking in the land. He said they fortified their cities because of the inhabitants of the land. And so this is a loving act to, to separate in this fashion for the sake of their brothers. Not only for the men of valor to go, but for the women and the children to stay and secure the homes while the men are off fighting the war. And isn't this just an incredible model for what our lives should look like as believers? We should be willing to love like these three particular tribes. Uh, Loving at the expense of self for the redemptive good of another. How many people do we know within our congregation who are fighting difficult battles? Who are going through trials and tribulations? I mean, you take one glance at our prayer list and pick off five names and you got five people who are dealing with difficulty. Who are dealing with pain. Who are struggling through something. And those are just the ones that have been made public on the prayer list. Because it's not hard to see that we're in a fallen world that is full of difficulty, that is full of pain, and is full of suffering. And we are all beneficiaries of it. And so, we have people in our own congregation who are fighting these kinds of battles. And so we must ask ourselves the question, in what way can I love that person? in what way can I aid that person to fight the battle? Not least of which is to pray for those people. If we are not regularly praying for the people in our congregation who we know are going through difficulty, then we are not on the front lines of the battle. That is the first thing that we're called to do. To, to implore our, our Lord and God who lends us His ear to aid, to support, to heal, to reconcile. The Lord commands us to ask those things of Him. So we must fight in prayer in that way. And there are many other ways that we can fight. We can fight financially. We can fight with our time. There's, there's an infinite number of ways that we can fight the battle and aid our brothers and sisters much like the example that these three particular tribes have set for us. Now, what is the reward of the Israelites? It's mentioned a couple of different times in here, but the most notable is verse 12. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest. Rest. That's what the Israelites are seeking. Rest. And so what is rest? Well, in most cases, what we typically think of rest is what we do after a long, hard day. We go home and, 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 and maybe we work with our kids for a little bit. Maybe we talk with our wife. But finally, we get to sit or, or lay down in our bed and we get to Relax. This is what we consider to be rest, right? But everything we do tallies up a need for rest. Everything that we do expels energy and just creates debt that we've got to fight with sleep, fight with rest. And so it's perpetual. Every day, we've got to get more sleep. Every day, we've got to get more rest, and for most of us living in modern day America, we're always so busy and we're always so tired. And well, if I just had more time, if I could just get more sleep, I'm just I'm just exhausted at the end of the day. And it's just it's endless. It's a fight we all have and it's continual. Well, there's some aspects of that to that's similar to the type of rest that the Israelites are sink, seeking, but it's more than that. And the writer of Hebrews is helpful to kind of determine what the what kind of rest the Israelites were seeking. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What's interesting is that this biblical view of rest is intimately tied to obedience. When we think of rest, we think of release from work. Release from something else. But what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter the rest. There's a particular order to the way rest is achieved, and the first part of that is work. Rest at home is not near as satisfying if you're not tired. When you get home after a long day, it is relaxing just to sit. It is relaxing to lay down because we have worked. And so, in order to receive the rest that God is talking about here, let us therefore strive. Strive in obedience. And what the writer of Hebrews shows the, and, and what Joshua shows here is this is so closely tied to the Word of God. Because verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Verse 12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So this is the, the, the power by which we strive. Something that is provided by God, not just some gumption worked within ourselves. The little boy at the beginning of his story, he, he achieved his reward just by gritting his teeth and powering through those peas. That's not how we live the Christian life. We don't just grit our teeth and power through. We rely on God. God gives us the ability to strive for that rest, and then He gives us the rest. And we get glimpses of that rest now. For those of us who are in Christ... Our work is not in vain. The things that we do are for an eternal purpose, and there is freedom in that. Because God has freed us from sin, freed us from the penalty, and now, and now continually freeing us from the power of sin. And so our work has meaning. The things that we do are not futile. And so we're free to not just strive to work, but we are free to work for the sake of joy. And we get glimpses of that now, but ultimately that will be realized in the new heavens and the earth when our work is incredibly fruitful. There will be nothing that's striving against us. There will be no sin within that rebels. The work of our hands will not decay in front of our eyes. Everything will be fruitful like it was intended to be. Unadulterated by any power of this world. And that's what true rest looks like. Not so much an absence of work, but work that brings absolute joy. Because how many of you have have jobs or have had jobs or have had hobbies that you enjoy? You don't find those near as tiring as you do, the jobs that you just kind of have to grit your teeth and go through. There's, There's joy. There's some sort of sustaining aspect to things we enjoy. Do you not think that God will give us that kind of ultimate, eternal joy when we are working in glory? There is rest there, but we must strive now, and it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard. And so relish the glimpses of rest that we go now, that we get now, because they point to a greater rest that is coming. And as Joshua says, it's coming soon. So lastly, we get the response of these three tribes to Joshua. Verse 16. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words whatever you command, shall he be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And so, they're reminded of the promise, the agreement that they had made with Moses, and their response is, we will do, and we will go. And their allegiance to this new leader, this man of God, is a demonstrative act of their ultimate allegiance to God. So they're pledging their allegiance to Joshua, saying, we will act on your commands. We will follow what you have called us to do. And they do that because ultimately, Joshua answers to a higher authority. He said, the, they respond here, verse 17, just as we obeyed Moses, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Now, this is not like a a blackmail of sorts saying, you know, if God's with you, we'll we'll obey your commands. But this is more of of, of a kind of prayer. We will follow you. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless your leadership. May the Lord be with you in the commands that you hand out. And so we, as Christians, have... Not just a man of God that we pledge our allegiance to, but we have the God-man who we pledge our allegiance to. Joshua showed his worthiness because of his, because of his allegiance to God, but then also his, his training, his upbringing under Moses. But Jesus shows his worthiness of our allegiance by his obedience to God and his death on the cross. He shows that He is worthy of everything that we can give Him. When Jesus gives a command, we should respond with, we will do and we will go, just as these tribes did. Because Jesus not only obeyed the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross, but then He was subsequently resurrected from the grave, showing that not only... Did he defeat sin, but that he was vindicated over it? That the check had been cashed, that death could not hold him, that sin could not hold him. So who else should we give our allegiance to than the one who has defeated every evil power? He is the only one worthy of our allegiance. And so we should respond in gratitude. Now, in a similar fashion, we have been given an under shepherd as well who we should submit our allegiance to there is an authority that's granted to our pastor because of the role that he possesses and so just as the israelites submitted to these under commanders so we have joshua who's the commander and then the commanders or the, the commanders the officers of the people go out we have pastors in our churches who operate as under shepherds ultimately submitting to the authority of Christ. But there is a level of authority and a level of submission that we should have for them as well, and in our case, Brian. And so in what ways are we submitting to Brian in ways that we are submitting to Jesus at the same time? And in what ways are we honoring our king by honoring our local shepherd? These are questions we must ask, and these are questions that are begged by the topic at hand. Because these three tribes honor Joshua. And Joshua is simply a man. But at this point, Joshua points to a better commander that is to come. A commander who is not prone to sin. A commander who is not adulterated by the things of this world. A commander who is without blemish, who is worthy of all honor and glory and received all shame and suffering for the sake of his people. He is worthy of our allegiance. Now, I'm not saying verse 18 is a pattern of life that we should have, that whoever does not follow the commands should be put to death. But it does show us that allegiance to our commander is a serious matter. And so we must, we must consider with diligence what it means to follow after Christ. And even Jesus Himself shows the importance of following in godliness by, by expressing, you know, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. In allegiance to our commander, in a following after Him in godliness, we must consider these matters seriously. These are not flippant. These are not just conversations that we have. We must consider our way of life in light of these things. The last thing that these three tribes say to Joshua is this. Only be strong and courageous. Now, this is not just a platitude. Be strong and courageous. You know, power through. But I think this is a reference to what's happening in the previous part of this chapter. Because God is reminding Joshua of his presence and that's what gives him the ability to be strong and courageous. Christians, because of Christ, we have God's presence. Be strong and courageous. The fight will be difficult. The fight will be hard. But we have other brothers and sisters to fight alongside of us and to point us back to Christ who has not only led us in the way to go, but He has already paved the way for us. And he has won the battle. So, the battles that we face, the strivings that we have, pale in comparison to what he has already done for us. And we know that nothing we do is in vain. And so, it's worth it to follow him. And so, as we, as we look for that day, we must follow the man of God because ultimately, we will be given the rest. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your kindness to us and the fact that we are able to read and understand and Your Spirit comes and He illumines Your Word. Father, may these words come to bear on our lives even this evening. Father, I pray if there are any amongst us who have not pledged their allegiance to Christ, who have not seen their need for salvation from sin, Father, that You by Your Spirit would convict them of their sin and show them that Christ has paid the price for them. And He gives it, he gives it freely for those who would respond in faith and repentance. Father, for those of us who are believers, I pray that we would consider our lives and how they relate to godliness. Father, point out areas in our lives where we do not align with Scripture, and then conform us to that. This will not be without difficulty, this will not be without growing pains, but Father, you promise that the fight is worth it. And Father, we pray that You would have us look to the rest that You have promised us. And Father, we, along with John and Revelation, pray that Your Son would return quickly for His bride. And that that rest would no longer be seen in snippets and in segments, but Father, it would be seen fully. Because we will see Your face and it will not be veiled by sin. It will not be veiled by darkness. It will not be veiled by anything but we will behold Your glory. Father, prepare us for that day now. And we pray that it would come quickly. We pray all this for the sake of Christ.